Thomas asked me to give a quick plug for fifth Sunday night tonight. If you hadn't signed up, there's only about a half dozen signed up out there. We usually have a good crowd that share, and it's a good opportunity to share a song or something you'd like to read, something special to you. Just an opportunity to hear from you as we worship the Lord. Well, back in the series on facing life's problems, and I wanted to look this morning with a new year upon us, with the problem of facing impossibilities. Those times where you just can't fix it. There is an issue before you that is obviously what I like to refer to as a God-sized problem. And I don't have a way to take care of it. Many of you know that my prayer has been for several years. God, do something in my life and among us here that could only be explained by you. You see, so often we... We just live in our strength and in our power. And it's just not enough. Cindy and I often talk about that uh, phrase in uh, Nehemiah where it says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then we talk about, you know, why do I sometimes look like, you know, I don't have any energy or, or you know, there's no uh, passion and, 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 and joy out of my life. Well, there's only one answer to that the Lord at that time must not be my strength. And as we face this new year, ask yourself that question. And not just now, but it's probably a good way to start the day. Is the joy of the Lord my strength? Because this world is empty. needs to see strength. The joy of the Lord. But let's turn. John chapter 6 is our passage this morning. 6, one through 13. I'll ask when you find that to stand in God's honor as I read. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed Him because they saw the miraculous signs He had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with His disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward Him, He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Him, for He already had in mind what He was going to do. Philip answered Him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with a piece of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Let's pray. Master, here we meet again, Lord. This day is significant for it reminds us of the resurrection. A day that just hours earlier appeared hopeless was now all hope. That's always your story. And as we face a a new year, may we face that with the new life you provide. That people might see the joy of the Lord. That's our hope. And I just pray you speak, Father, may my words be plain. Not, Father, misunderstood. Father, may there be, Father, a sense of your presence. We just need you, Lord. So I I just ask that you speak. In your name we pray. Amen. Throughout most of history, uh, for runners, there was a barrier known as the four-minute mile. It was believed for centuries that it was impossible to break the four-minute mile. As a matter of fact, according to Greek lore... Uh, they tried all kinds of things, man. They would set out the runners and put wild animals behind them, chasing them, trying to see if they could speed up the time to break that four-minute mile. Uh, they even tried to give them tiger's milk, thinking that would somehow juice them up so that they could run faster. But none of that worked. As time went by, others kept trying to break the four-minute mile. And then it just came to a point where they believed, well, hey, the bone structure and the human body... You know, we're just not built in order to break the four-minute barrier as a runner. Um, And then there became all kinds of excuses and reasons why that was just impossible to do until 1954 when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. And then after that, it seemed as if a sea of runners began to break the four-minute mile after someone finally accomplished it. It was like the floodgate opened up. You had to believe. People had to believe. People had to have a sense of this really is possible. And somebody had to lead the way. And our Lord Jesus Christ has led the way. And as we follow Him, we're able to do way beyond we can imagine. You just need to trust Him. A couple of scriptures. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Our sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing's too hard for you. We have a God who's made all of creation. My problem's not too difficult for him. Either is yours. Drop down to verse 27 of Jeremiah 32. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Rhetorical question. Of course not. Nothing too hard for God. Luke 1, 37. Uh, this is the part where Mary discovers that she is with the Messiah in her womb. And she asks the question, how can this be? And the response that comes from the angel in verse 37. This is from the Amplified Bible, by the way. For with God, nothing is ever impossible. And no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. And then Mark 10, 27, second part of that verse, this is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. For with man, it's impossible, but not with God. 
with God, all things are possible. Um, I graduated seminary in December 1987. Cindy and I got married in January of 1988. And we took off with our belongings to head to a new place, serve in the church. We had everything loaded on our U-Haul. We were headed down the road, and we ran into the craziest fog I have ever seen to this day. It was so thick, as they say, you know, you could cut it with a knife. I couldn't see in front of me. And so finally, uh, we ended up stopping at a motel and staying the night because it was just too dangerous. I couldn't see... I literally couldn't see what was ahead of me. And, you know, I share that. I thought about that. We're called to walk by faith and live by faith, which means we don't really know what's ahead of us. But we trust God. But sometimes, even in that trust, we just have to stop. Because we don't know. And we have to wait. And we have to say, God, I need to stop. I need a break. I need to turn to You. Because I don't know what's ahead, Lord. And it's it's dangerous right now. Because I just I just need to spend time with You. To just, just be still before You. Most of you know by now through the prayer request, we're kind of going through that at the moment. My uh, nephew, Cindy's brother's son, was in a, a dangerous car wreck Saturday morning. And uh, he is laying in a coma now in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, and we don't know if he's going to survive or not. And, and we're stuck in that, you know, what do we do, Lord? What do we do? We want to we want to be with them, but we don't know what the future holds, and we can't keep going back and forth. And and, and we're at that moment. It's like just stop, <laughs> you know. And, and Lord, seek you, so I can clarify this and get some idea of, of what I need to go, what I need to do, where, where I need to go. And and Lord, I can't fix it. I can't fix him, and I have to trust you. And I guess the irony of it is, whether we realize it or not, that's where we are. At any moment, our lives can change. What you and I think is so secure is not. I used to have the picture in my mind of we all live in a giant bubble and we never know when the bubble's going to pop. And uh, for uh, our family, uh, at, the, at the moment, there's a pop bubble. Um, time to trust God. In John chapter 6, there is a miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. And it is a miracle of what seems like an impossible situation. But with God there, it was not. And, and that's the key. And, and, and so as we look at this, uh, as we open up John chapter 6, look at that first phrase. I know in the NIV it says, Sometime after this. Now, just take a moment here, and, and, and I want to refer to that phrase, because it's a transitional phrase. What happened in those preceding chapters? Well, Jesus handpicked the twelve to follow Him. He, he, he spent time with them. He trained them. Then He sent them out to ministry, and, and they went out to, to minister to people and to share the message, and they came back, and quite frankly, they were exhausted. Physically, emotionally, spiritually worn out. And so, Jesus is getting ready to take them on a retreat so they can get some rest. 
And there's an old saying, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And they were broken, they were afraid. Uh, So as we read in this scripture here, verse 3, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples. But it says before they headed to sit on that mountainside, verse 2, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sea. Now, uh, (laughs) verse 5, it says that this great crowd, Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him. Now, let's be honest. These disciples, they're tired, they're exhausted, and I can just hear them saying, here we go again. I need a break. And here they come. They just won't stop coming. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, it's time to do some homework, guys. It's time to to put into practice when it's uncomfortable and when you're tired to trust and to serve God. The opportunity is coming to step out and serve Him. And what an opportunity. Uh, As we read about this, it says, he, He looked up, saw this crowd coming toward Him. We see in the Scripture describes them as 5,000 people in verse 10. About 5,000. Now, if we look in Matthew 14, 21, we read, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So most believe that number was really probably more like seven or 8,000 that were there. They had been following Jesus and, and they were famished. They they needed something to eat and there was this great crowd and, and Jesus turned to Philip and he wanted to test his faith. It says here and so when he looked up and he saw him he said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Philip didn't answer the question. He got caught up in the problem. I mean, he could have said, well, Lord, uh, I don't know, there's this place down here where you can get a bunch of food. Maybe we could try that. Or, or he could have said, there's just too many people. Uh, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know. But he, he didn't say that. He in, Instead, he was calculating in his head because he was trying to be a fixer. He wanted to figure it out. Okay, what can I do? What, what is needed? You know, i, I got to work this out. And... Uh, if you turn to uh, John chapter 14, you get a picture of uh, Philip once again. This is just Philip. You know, He's a guy, he has to see it. It, it has to be concrete evidence for him. You know, this, this faith issue is not how he's used to operating. Of course, John 14, what a great chapter. Jesus talks about, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. And he talks about the Father's house and many rooms. And I prepared this great place for you. And then verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How how can we know the way? And of course, verse 6, what a great verse. Many of us have memorized it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well from now on. Do you know him and have you seen him? Here's Philip. Philip said, Lord, 
Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. He says, Lord, uh, just clearly give me that evidence so I can nail it down and, and be done with this and, 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 and figure this all out. I, I, I need to have that, Lord. But anyways, we go back to John chapter 6. We see how his mindset you know, functions, how he thinks. And then as the Lord speaks to him, says, Philip answers, verse 7, eight months' wages would not be enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, in that day, the daily wage was 17 cents. This was like two-thirds of a year. So it comes out to 34 bucks. Boy, hardly, hardly take two people out to eat. Some of these places, 32 bucks now. I mean, 34 bucks now. But here, as he speaks, Lord, it wouldn't be enough for them to even have a bite, a crumb, and, and something to drink. It, it just wouldn't be enough. Lord, it just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work, Lord. He was a statistical pessimist. It's easy for those to tell you how it won't work. It's easy to have those out there who say, why, it's impossible. But the thing is, if God's there... Nothing's ever impossible. And that, that's what we discovered here. Um, the, the negative perspective can kill us, but we've got to trust God. Bill Hybels tells a story of a baptismal service in his church. It was a joyous event. I mean, you know, great celebration. People were excited to see baptismal waters part and people being baptized. After the service, he, he walked around the church and he saw a lady weeping. You know, this is odd. Why is she crying? And so he went up to her and he talked to her. And she said to him, my mom was baptized today. And said, I prayed for her for 20 years and almost lost my faith. She said, after five years, I said, who needs this? God isn't listening. She said, at the 10-year mark, I said, why am I wasting my breath? At the 15-year mark, she said, this is absurd. (laughs) And at the 19-year mark, she said... I'm just a fool that I just kept praying with a weak faith. And now God's saved. She's being baptized. He said, man, I never doubt God. And it, remember, when God is there, it's never impossible. It's never too late. God is still, He loves us, and, and we have to believe that. We have to, we have to trust that. But let's move on in our our text here. Next we see Andrew. Look at verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Poor Andrew. Everywhere he went. Simon Peter's brother. Peter this. Peter that. What about being in somebody's shadow? That must have been tough for him. And I, you know, I kind of feel sorry for Andrew when I, when I, I think about that for him. But he's a guy in the Scripture that's been pointed out many times, bringing people to Jesus. He, he seemed to do pretty well for himself. But I want you to notice here in the text here, as it mentions Andrew, uh, verse 9, Andrew says, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Uh, now that word for barley loaves is about the size of a small pancake uh, for the barley loaf. And, the fish were pickled. That's the word for pickled fish. So, you know, we could say two small, I mean, five small barley loaves and two sardines. 
And you know, it, it seems like a, Andrew's doing pretty good. Yeah. And of course, the question is, how did he know? Man? Evidently, he was looking through people's lunch pails. Hey, what you got there? Hey, let me see that a minute. What you got there? He looked in there and he saw what that boy had. And man, he looked like he was a person of faith as he comes to the Lord. And then he screws it up, doesn't he? He says, and how far will they go among so many? See, even Andrew, he started out well, but he got caught up in the problem and it just immersed him. And it just took over. Um, it, It just took over. But Jesus was in the midst of wanting to build their faith. You see, this miracle wasn't just for the crowd that was hungry, those seven or 8,000. It was for these disciples who needed to see God work in an impossible situation. And, and, and Jesus wanted them to know, this is who I am. I am the God of impossibilities. It's all possible. You see, they became the ushers. And, and, and man, it's really, it, it's amazing as you sit here and you look at this. Let's just read through the account. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. And it says, Then Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks. Now think about this. Uh, two sardines, five pancakes. And distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Think about Philip, man. Philip saying, Everybody get a few... You know, everybody get a, Maybe... Half a crumb here. We had, you know, three quarters of the year wages. And here he is going, Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? There's still stuff in here. Man, I can imagine him having a revival. You know, God getting a hold of his heart. It's like, this never runs out. When God is in it, little is much. And that's what they learned. That's what, what they saw. I mean, that must have been something to behold. God moving and working. And, and I, I think a message clearly given here to the disciples and to us as disciples today is and don't live in constant worry and don't recruit others to worry. Think what a clear message. In Howard Hendricks, one of his books, he tells a story about a family who didn't have much. A little boy named Timmy he wanted a shirt. So he told his mom, he said... I need a shirt, Mom. He goes, okay, Timmy. He says, Mom, let's pray about it. Okay, Timmy. I wear size 7. Okay, Timmy. So they started praying for Timmy a shirt, size 7. This went on for several days. Every night they would pray, size 7 shirt. Well, after a couple of weeks, she gets a phone call one day from a friend who ran a clothing store. And he said, uh, now, we just went through our inventory, and I have some shirts, and I was trying to find somebody that might enjoy these shirts. And I thought of you. Could, could you use some shirts? And she said, what size? Size 7. But there's 12 of them. She said, okay. So he, he brought over the, the box of shirts and now, some moms might have just, you know, like put them in his drawer and said, hey, you got your shirts and everything, but she was wanting to teach him about God. So it came time and Timmy says, let's pray about that shirt, about a shirt, Mom. She goes, okay, Timmy. They prayed. And afterwards, she uh, called him her other sons. He came in the room and brought a shirt. Timmy goes, go God! 
Then he went back and got another shirt. Yeah. And another shirt. And another shirt. And another shirt. Until (laughs) 12 shirts. That little boy, Timmy, thought God was in the clothing business. God didn't just provide. There was leftovers. And as you look at this text, talk about a faith builder. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, when their tummies were full, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces left over. Let nothing be wasted. They gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley left over by those who had eaten. You ever thought about the fact that there were twelve of them and each had a basket? God was dealing with each one's faith. And each one had a basket that was filled to the full of leftovers. God not only met the need, He wanted to prove a point. I can fill up way beyond what you imagine. That was what God did. That was His work as as He reached out. Turn with me uh, as we come near the message. Mark chapter 9. A section of Scripture, uh, it just connects with uh, how we are. Uh, 9, starting at verse 14. That when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet Him. wonder what those teachers thought. They had this crowd. Here comes Jesus now. Just Why'd they flock in there? Because they knew Jesus loved them. Let's go on here and look at this. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I love it. Bring that hurting boy to me. The personal touch. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him in the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. This was a desperate dad. He had he had burned all the other uh, opportunities and, and bridges for help, and, and and he went everywhere he knew. He, he he wanted his son to be whole and to be healed, and 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 yet there were no answers, and and he came doubting. You know this won't work, but I've got to try. I've just got to try. And he came to him. He says. Teacher, if you can do anything. And look at look at the answer of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. I imagine those words sunk in and stunned with that. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, This is so honest. 
I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. God, you know I believe. You know I want to believe, but I just have all these doubts. And, and, and Lord, I just fight against what I don't understand. And, and I fight against all my failures. And, and, and I, I'm just not quite sure. Help me overcome that, Lord. Help me really believe as I want to believe, as I really want to put my trust in You. I know it's possible, but are You going to do it? And that's just so honest. And and, and guys, I, I guess as I come into this thing, I did the full circle, come back where we started and saying, uh, we have a world that needs to see Jesus. We, we have a world that hurts, that suffers. And, and they need to know that God cares about them and loves them. And, and you know how often they discover that? By watching weak people, you and me. As the joy of the Lord works in those impossible type situations to show a loving God who is able and works. That makes all the difference. Okay, uh, close with an example here by Juan Carlos Ortiz. Um, Ortiz compares the Christian life to going to the circus. You guys like to go to the circus. Uh, when Daniel was little, he was fascinated with the circus. And I'll never forget, we went to, uh, finally got to go see Barnum Bailey Circus. And uh, some of, I was nervous some of that stuff. And, you know, the trapeze you got to be a little bit nuts to do that stuff, you know? And, and they'd swing back and forth on the trapeze and do these flips and catch hands. And my heart's stopping a couple of times, you know? Oh, Red Fox, Elizabeth, I'm coming. Okay, that's something else. But anyway, you, know, you look at it, it's dangerous. And it, yet there's a sense of excitement and, and a sense of expectation. And, and he just did catch it. And, and, and there was just a, a, you know, just a passion there that kind of kept you on the edge of your seats because it was above the normal. It was living above the ground. It was taking some risks, taking some chances. And Ortiz says, you know, that, that should be the life of a believer. And they should look at us and say, look how they live. Look how they love. <laughs> you, you know, they're, they're different. The joy of the Lord is their strength. There's a something beyond the monotony. But, you know, just going through each day. There, there's a passion and there's a purpose. And he says, that's, that's, that's how we're to be. And, and people need to see that. And as we go into the new year, may God awaken that in us. May we remember who we are and whose we are. That, that's, that's what the message is about. And anyway, he goes on here <laughs> and he says, uh, you know, if, if you look on the trapeze, there is a net. Why? Because sometimes these guys, no matter how good they are, they fall. They don't quite make it. And so there's this safety net that the trapezist falls into for safety. And Ortiz compared this to uh, grace. God gives us the grace to live in His power. To do the trapeze, man, and, and, and to do these things that look you know, just above the normal monotony of life. But the net is also His grace. That in those times where we fall, and the times where, where we're weak, and the times where we don't live up to who we are, and, and we, we just mess up, there's the net. 
That's Calvary. That's grace. That's the security where Jesus said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I'm secure in Christ. And, and, and you know, there's that safety there. But he closes with this analogy. Ortiz says, uh, The net's there for safety, but we're not supposed to sleep in the net. He said, you know, imagine going to the circus. And you look down there and there's a guy down there snoring away, you know, in the net. Chances are you'd say, is he really a trapeze artist? Not much exciting about watching him sleep on the net. And, and so the question is, does he really know how to use the trapeze? And see, when people don't see us walking and living in Jesus Christ, they say, is he really different? Is he really God's child? Does she really belong to God? Does any of this really matter? Does any of this really make a difference? And so I guess the convicting thought is for me and for you, are you sleeping in the net? Or are you walking by faith? Are you taking that risk? You see, it's scary to walk in faith. Sometimes when you take that step, you can't see but just far enough ahead to step. Sometimes there's not enough light because you're in the dark and you just, you're just, you're just going. And, and it, you say, God, help me. God, get me through this and, and, and walk in victory. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we talk about a new year this year, you are the God who takes the impossible and make it possible. That's who you are. And may we be a people who live that way, Lord, with hope. There's a lot of stuff going on, Lord. You know about it. You know what is happening in each person's life today. It is not a secret to you. And yet, you're the God that loves. And although we might not be able to fix it, we have a God that we can turn to, Lord. May we live in that hope. May we not doubt you like that dear lady whose mom came to Christ. Sometimes we come so close. I pray this morning, if there's someone here that's just so close to just giving up, oh God, inspire them. Oh God, wake us up. God, we long to see you work in this coming year. And that means working in my life. Each life here in the body, Kingsway and beyond. God, we need you. And once again, I say that prayer. Do something among us, Lord, that can only be explained by you. God, maybe that will happen this morning. Maybe one will give his life, give her life to Jesus this morning. We pray and say, enter me, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be a new follower of yours. I want to follow and make it known through baptism. I want to be a part of, of, of your people. God, what a, that's only, only you do that stuff. And so if you want to do that this morning, we're pleased. Do it. Um, whatever else you may want to do, Lord, take away whatever may be blocking that in my life and the lives of those here, that you may be free to move, Lord, as you desire. In your name we pray. Amen.